Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Things That Charlie Did, Chapter 29. Fog and mist covered everything as far as he could see. Sitting on Mandy's back, he felt the strong horse's muscles moving beneath him as they went forward. Their speed was that of a trot. Yet, there was no sound as Mandy's hooves hit the ground. The mist covered everything, but for some reason, he was certain they were on the stretch of beach they had frequented near his California home. The mist began to rise, higher and higher. Moving forward at the continual trot, the mist was rising quickly. It covered Mandy's lower haunches and crept up Charlie's legs now. Past his knees, it began to cover Mandy's mane. Now, at his waist, the white fog began to cover him. It was beginning to reach Mandy's head. The horse went limp as soon as the thick white mist hit her in the nostrils. They both began to fall. Falling at speeds that would rival a falling star, Charlie's stomach was in his throat now, and in an instant his lungs filled with the mysterious mist. Mandy now felt limp under him. He struggled to breathe, but there was no air. Suddenly, he noticed that Mandy was gone from underneath him. The mist was so thick that he couldn't see anything. There was no air. Sitting straight up in bed, Charlie looked around the dark Holiday Inn room. It had been a bizarre dream. The sheets gathered around him were soaked in sweat. He got out of bed and went to the table where he and Carlos had sat the previous evening. The telephone book still lay open from when they were trying to figure out if the phone had been tapped or not. The question had been answered. He slammed the phone book closed as he sat down. Carlos had taken the squirrel to his room and was going to make sure he stayed there. How? Charlie was really afraid to ask, so he didn't. But as he sat there trying to shake the bizarre dream he'd just had, it did cross his mind that maybe he should go check on them. The red light of the digital clock radio was the only light in the room except for various city lights that peeped in through the window. He watched the clock as the time went from 3.33 to 3.34. Checking on Carlos was necessary. The early hour, given the circumstances, really didn't matter. Next to the clock radio was a phone. He got up and resettled on the edge of the bed where it was easier to use the phone. Under the receiver was a sticker that gave directions in Spanish and English on how to use the hotel phone. Room to room, calls were possible by hitting the pound sign, then the room number to be called. Charlie did as directed. The phone rang four or five times, then the hotel messaging service picked up the phone. In Spanish, a generic message was recited, then the universal signal that required no one to be bilingual, a tone. Charlie quickly hung up, dialed again, but he got the same thing. Figuring that Carlos was dead tired, he opted not to call again. Still, he wanted to check on things. 
figured no one would see him, so he remained barefoot and shirtless. There really was no concern as he quietly opened the door to the room. That changed quickly. As he looked into the direction of Carlos' room once in the hallway, the room's door was propped open by a chair. Chills went down Charles' spine. He walked forward like a tiger, a tiger that was stalking its prey. The drapes were down. With one sudden movement, he entered the room and reached for the light switch on the wall next to the door. When he did, the small lamp on the nightstand next to the bed and a hanging light over the table came on, fully lighting the room. It was empty. Where were they? The fact that they were gone was troubling in itself, not to mention the fact that the door was propped open. This little detail pointed to something seriously wrong. If Carlos had taken the squirrel out for any reason, there wouldn't be any need to prop the door open. On the other hand, if the squirrel had somehow managed to hurt Carlos while he slept, then remove him from the room, propping open the door would have made it easier to get him out. The later, unfortunately, seemed like the most likely possibility. Now what? Charlie removed the chair, allowing for the door to close on its own, and began to randomly walk the room, looking for clues, something for anything to help him figure out what had happened. The bed was rustled as it had been slept in. There was a pallet on the floor that undoubtedly the squirrel had slept in. Nothing really seemed unusual given the circumstances. A quick look of the restroom showed nothing out of place there either. The bag Carlos had brought with him was still sitting in the same spot he'd left it in when he had first arrived. Come to think of it, he hadn't been in that room much at all, really, since they had gotten there earlier in the day. In frustration, Charlie threw himself on the bed. He rolled on his side and rummaged through the drawer of the nightstand. Nothing there, not even a Bible. Rolling back on his back now, he felt his head begin to throb. There was just too much to think about. He began to massage his temples, but it did no good. Laying there like a whiny 10-year-old wasn't doing him any good either. So, despite the fact that his sudden headache was overwhelming him to the point of puking, he made himself get up. That's when he first noticed it. His shirtless back felt wet and sticky. He immediately went to the mirror to see what was causing the uncomfortable squishiness on his back. A mirror set atop a large chest of drawers and a lamp was provided there as well. He turned the lamp on and turned looking over his shoulder to see what was on his back. A brownish, almost rust-color area covered his right shoulder blade. Without attempting to rub it off, he immediately went back to the bed, but this time peeled off the sheet covered by a blanket, covered by a comforter. There, concealed by the bed's covers. Thick enough to have soaked through all three layers, but had not yet soaked through to a point where the top layer was bloodstained. His mind had to ignore the freight train that was traveling through it. 
whose blood was on the bed. It had to be Carlos's. Surely Carlos would have taken the bed and made the squirrel sleep on the floor. In fact, he doubted Carlos ever intended to sleep at all. They had been so tired the past two days, though, he probably slipped into a sleep long enough for the squirrel to get him. Why were they gone, though? Why would it be necessary to take him if the squirrel was just trying to get away? The freight train was blowing its whistle now. There was a sudden rattle at the door. Charlie froze, trying to listen to the door to make sure that he had heard what he thought. There was a second rattle that confirmed it. He quickly moved to turn the lights off, being careful not to step too loudly. Then there came the problem of where to hide. He got the lights off, but before any decision could be made on hiding, he was forced to duck behind the bed as the door made an even louder noise this time. Someone was knocking lightly. His mouth went cottonmouth dry. Again, there was a knock at the door. This time, it was a little louder than the first time. Should he answer it? There was a peephole in the door. If he could manage to get there without the person noticing his footsteps or his looking through the peephole, looking to see who it was, was important. The problem is he rationalized to himself that he has no weapon. This could be the Santiago's or some of their goons. Either way, for whatever reason, these guys are killers. There was a third knock now, this time even louder. He'd come all this way. He needed to find Carlos now. He needed to see who was at the door. Getting up from his position beside the bed, he began to creep softly to the door. He looked through the peephole first, only to see that no one was there. Now, things became even more complicated. At the same time, slowly becoming more determined to find out what was going on. The saying that Margarita and Michael used to say suddenly hit him. Together, in danger, no fear. He stepped toward the door to open it. The door was well oiled and didn't crack or creak as he made the space between the door and the frame slowly widen. The warm air from the hallway was contrasted by the cool air that was coming from the room. The outdoorsy smell, the humidity became more and more evident as more and more light from the hallway peered through the ever-widening doorway. If someone was still there, their back would have had to have been against the wall and they would have to have been on the same side of the hallway as where Charlie was. He was really in no mood to be smacked in the head like it happened on that stretch of road between Cuidad Norte and San Miguel. His bare feet continuously gripped the carpet. His hands let go of the door, and he stepped out into the hallway. Just as his second foot cleared the doorway, he was attacked from the left. The attacker's body dropped over his in a move Charlie hadn't felt since his days playing high school football. They both grunted as they hit the carpet. Charlie fought to get the attacker off his body. 
He flung his fist in swings that landed body blows. The attacker was on top of him and fought to restrain Charlie's arms. The struggle came to an end as suddenly as it had started, though. Charlie, is that you? It was Carlos. Carlos, you scared me half to death. Carlos talked as he quickly got off of his friend. I left the door propped open with the chair, he explained. Our litter buddy caught me in a sleep and hit me. He took the room key and left. It was then Charlie could see where the blood had come from. Carlos had a three-inch gash on his forehead. It still oozed a small trickle of blood. Your head, said Charlie, pointing. Yeah, I told you he hit me. The little guy hit me. I think with the telephone, said Carlos. Yeah, these guys are good at whacking people on the head, said Charlie. Charlie was giving Carlos' wound a closer look. He wanted to take him back inside the room, but the door had closed during the scuffle. Neither one of them had a key. They looked at each other with blank stares now. Charlie's door had shut, too. There they were in the middle of the night, standing in the hallway of a hotel that just as well could have been a zillion miles from home for both of them. Charlie, barefoot and shirtless. Carlos, a gash on his head that obviously could use a few stitches. Both men shook their heads, not only in disgust at the situation they found themselves in, but at the fact that things were going so wrong that it almost bordered on humorous. Carlos simply sat down. He put his back against the wall of the hallway and leaned his head back against it. He was in pain. Charlie started to think of what they needed to do next and sat down next to his friend. First of all, they needed to get into at least one of the rooms. Charlie wondered if the night clerk at the desk would give either one of them a key without them being able to produce any identification. After all, whoever was working the hotel desk now was surely not the same person that had checked them in. Too much time had gone by and the shift must have changed by now. All they could do was try, though. Before Charlie could present his conclusions to Carlos, both men were startled by a voice coming from the end of the hallway, a familiar, hushed sort of voice that brought peace and comfort. Charlie? The female voice came from a trim, attractive woman at the far end of the hall. Charlie couldn't believe his eyes at first. Charlie? repeated the woman, remained still at the end of the hallway. Now, though, Charlie was sure he knew who it was. It was Maria. Thank you for joining us. Join us next time as we continue with Things That Charlie Did. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.